0: Well, tonight we're going to embark on a new book in the Old Testament. And it's kind of interesting to me that since we finished the book of Hosea, we're going to be turning to an earlier book written by and all about another man whose name is very, very similar, Joshua. So you can turn with me to the book of Joshua right after the first five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch. The book of Joshua carries their history on from that point after they now have been prepared by Moses to enter into the land. And this particular book is all about the possessing of the land of promise. Remember back in Abraham's day, God had promised Abraham that he would give this particular land to his descendants and it was going to be some 400 years that they would be out of the land where Abraham had been journeying, he never really owned any of the land with the exception of one burial plot for his wife. But God had promised that land to him and to his descendants after him. And it would be, again, over 400 years before they would actually enter into that land. And that would happen by the leading of Moses. And when Moses was born, the nation of Israel, the tribes of Israel, were in Egypt, and they were enslaved by the Egyptians. And they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered their call, and Moses, although he was born as a Hebrew, but raised in an Egyptian palace, ended up having to leave Egypt because of his having murdered one of the Egyptians, and he was in that wilderness in Midia for about 40 years. So that put him at the age of 80 when he went back into the uh, land of Israel, or rather into the land of Egypt, to deliver his people from slavery. They at first, of course, didn't believe him, but through many signs and wonders and God's leading, he and Aaron brought them out of the land. Now, this man Joshua was born in Egypt as a slave. His father's name was Nun. And he is actually the firstborn of his father. And you may remember in their captivity, the last plague was a plague that said that every firstborn of every family would be killed if they did not cover their doorposts with the blood of a sacrificial lamb. That was the Passover that began then. And obviously, none observed that command of Moses. And he put the blood upon the door of his home, and Joshua was spared. Now, Joshua had become the servant or minister of Moses through their wilderness journey. But it's interesting to note that in Numbers, one of the Pentateuch uh, Bible uh, chapters or uh, books, Moses had written in Numbers, chapter 13, verse 16, that he had taken this young man, who was probably around 30 to 40 years old when he first began serving Moses, and his name was not Joshua originally. It was a different name. And interestingly enough, his name in the Hebrew was Hoshia, or Oshia, but it's usually pronounced with a letter h sound at the beginning which is by the way if you recall the name of the prophet Hosea it's exactly the same hebrew spelling so that's why i think it's unique that we left hosea and now we're coming into another book that originally his name was hosea or hoshea in the original hebrew language well moses changed his name in numbers 13:16 from hoshea to Yehoshua. He added the prefix Yah, which is a reference to Jehovah or Yahweh. So his name originally meant He saves. And then Moses changed his name from He saves to Jehovah saves or Yahweh saves. Yehoshua, or the shortened version that we know of as Joshua. And also, when you come to the New Testament and you see the name of Jesus. Well, Jesus is a transliteration, an English transliteration from the original uh, Greek language, which was the language that the New Testament was primarily written in, from Yeshua or Jesus to Jesus. And so, Jesus also means Jehovah is salvation or Jehovah saves. So Jesus in the New Testament is really the same general name as Joshua in the Old Testament. And it's interesting to note that Moses had been told by the Lord that he would not be able to enter into the land of Canaan, the land of promise, because he misrepresented God at the rock at Kadesh Barnea. When he was told by the Lord to speak to the rock, instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. And that offended the Lord because it was God's intent that they would see God's mercy to the people rather than God's anger. And Moses was so angry with the people, so he misrepresented God in his anger. And because of that, Moses could not enter the land. How sad for Moses' sake. However, in the book of Deuteronomy, we see that God does take Moses to a high mountain mountain In his last days, and he gives him really uh, a miraculous vision of the entire land. All the way from that mountaintop, he could see as far north as Lebanon, as far west as the Mediterranean Sea, down south through the Negev toward Egypt. And all of that land was going to be given to the people of God. But Moses would not be allowed to carry them into the land. If they had obeyed Moses, and if Moses had not done what he did at the waters uh, in Kadesh Barnea, it's very likely that Moses might have entered the land. But God used that to demonstrate something of a spiritual application to us. See, Moses represented the law, and the law cannot bring you into the promises of God. It never was intended to. And so it's a beautiful picture of the limitation of the law. The law points us to the fact that we are sinners by nature. But the law cannot save us. The law cannot bring us to that place of uh, possessing the promises of God. Only Jesus can. And Joshua, Jehovah, saves is the one who would take them into the land. So it's a beautiful picture of grace entering into the promised land, but the law not being able to do so. Also we'll know that there are places in the book of Joshua where there are many different challenges that will take place. And it's worthwhile noting that that's also a picture of our taking possession of the promises of God. Paul tells us that we enter into our relationship with God through much suffering. And so, this whole book is about the difficulties, the challenges, the uh, way that they had to endure trouble and and all kinds of things that took place in their taking possession. But they never actually fully possessed all of what God had promised. And that's kind of a sad element of this book. They were intended to take the whole of what God had promised. And he had promised them all the land from the western shore of the Mediterranean Sea all the way to the Euphrates River, which is basically in Iraq today. All the way north to Lebanon and down southward to Egypt. Well, they only took a portion of that land. The closest that they came to taking possession full possession of the promised land, was under David and Solomon. But that soon changed, and they were limited because of their unbelief. They failed to carry out God's perfect plan of completely uh, defeating, destroying all of the Canaanites. And because they did not displace or destroy all of the Canaanite peoples, they began to then assimilate some of the worship of the Canaanite gods into their own worship of Jehovah, and you know from the study of Hosea that turned out very badly in the end. Moses actually had warned them. In the 34th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses gave them clear warning that they would not enter into a full possession of the land because of their unbelief and because of the fact that they would uh, be straying from the worship of their own God and worshipping other gods. I'd like also to take a look before we get too far into the study of Joshua to go back to chapter 34 of the book of Deuteronomy. So just turn left a page and you'll be there. 34 of the book of Deuteronomy is the last chapter, and it's just before the start of the book of uh, Joshua. Verse 34, of, one of chapter 34 of Deuteronomy says, "Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo." to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord allowed him, showed him, all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, that's the northern territory, all Naphtali in the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your own eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land. And by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. So, that's a recap of the last days of Moses, and then we're going to find as we enter the study in the book of Joshua that Joshua is reminded of the fact that God had taken Moses to be with himself. It says in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 1 After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. So again, the promise had been made. God is going to give that land to all the children of Israel. It's to be their sole possession. They're now camped on the eastern side of the Jordan River down near the Dead Sea in the land of Moab. There have been challenges. They could have gone into the land 38 years before this. But, because of their unbelief, they did not enter the land. And I'd like you to be reminded, if you would, of all of that wandering through the wilderness, and how Joshua was indeed very much involved throughout those years in the wilderness journeys. His ministry under Moses began shortly after they left Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and in that area where they first began to receive the wonderful blessings of God, manna from heaven, Uh, the water of Meribah had been bitter, God healed the water, and Joshua was there with Moses all of that time. And it was during those early weeks that there was a people group in the region known as the Amalekites. And it's the Amalekites who began to cause Israel a great deal of problems while they were in the wilderness at the very onset of their journeyings. And Moses appointed Joshua to lead an army of Israelites against the Amalekites. And you may remember the story that Joshua brought his troops against the Amalekites, and when Moses and Aaron and Ur went up to a high mountain area to overlook the battle as it continued, Moses was lifting his hands unto the Lord, and when he lifted his hands, the Israelites would be uh, subduing the Amalekites. But Moses' hands grew weary, and as soon as his hands fell down, then the Amalekites would begin to have victory over the Israelites. So Aaron and Hur both sat Moses on a rock, and they, on either side of Moses, kept his arms upright, so that Until the evening, there was a great victory. Joshua, as their first general, defeated the Amalekites. Great victory in those early days of their wanderings. A little later on, they're now at Mount Sinai. And Joshua goes with Moses to the mountain where God would meet with Moses. Now, Joshua could not go up all the way to the mountain, but he was closer than any other person that was with Moses at the time. He set Joshua at a place where he could only stay at that level on the mountain while Moses went up to the top of the mountain to meet with God. And it was there that God received the first table of stones, the Ten Commandments. He brought them down and met again with Joshua after 40 days being at the top of the mountain and immediately there is a commotion being heard down in the valley below. Joshua says, it's a sound of war. And Moses said, no, that's not war, Joshua. That's a sound of merriment. The people of God were partying. And Joshua didn't recognize that, but Moses did. They got down to the valley and observed that there was an orgy going on. And they had built a calf, a golden calf. Aaron was responsible for that. And he was very, very guilty. However, when Moses confronted him, he said, well, they gave me all this gold and we tossed it into the fire and out came this calf. Um, I don't think Joshua believed it either, but certainly Moses didn't. But Joshua was with Moses all of that time. Later on in their journeyings, he was faithful with Moses after Moses went back up into the mountain again received a second set of stones of the tables of the law, Moses and Joshua presented the law to the people. Joshua was with Moses as his servant. Moses stayed outside the camp for a very long period of time in his own tent, and Joshua stayed in the mouth of that tent all the time with Moses. So he was continually with his master and learning from him. Moses apparently had recorded all of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, from Genesis through Deuteronomy, with the exception of the last couple of chapters of Deuteronomy. Obviously he couldn't have written those because he was now dead. So it's very, very likely that Joshua was the one who wrote the final chapters of the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to turn back to Another chapter in Deuteronomy momentarily, but let's begin our study now in this book of Joshua. We've read just the first two verses. Now we've seen that Moses is dead. And God reminds Joshua, yes indeed, he is dead. Joshua didn't see the dead body. He just was told by God that Moses is not going to be around any longer. You are now in charge. And again, You go back to the book of Numbers and the book of Deuteronomy and you find that Moses was preparing Joshua for this very thing. Because during that first couple of years, during the building of the tabernacle and before they began their wilderness journeyings, Joshua was already then being prepared by the Lord to take the people into the land. It wasn't until many, many years later at the end of their journeyings, near the the 40th or uh, rather, near the last half of that two-year period, they went northward to go into the land, and Moses decided to send ten spies into the land, twelve spies into the land. Joshua was one of them, along with Caleb. And they and ten other men went into the land of Canaan, and they went throughout the land of Canaan to search out the land. They came back and gave their report to Moses. Moses. Now Joshua and Caleb gave a very good report. We can take the land. It's filled with all kinds of wonderful produce and they're afraid of you. They'll be completely subdued in no time. But the other ten convinced the entire group of Israelites, the entire nation, no, 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 there's giants in the land. We can't defeat them. This is an impossibility. Let's go back to Egypt. Well, because of their unbelief, God told them they're going to not enter the land. That entire first generation from the age of 20 would be destroyed in that wandering through the wilderness for the next 38 years. And so it was that when they went into the land, the entire first generation was gone with the exception of Jacob and Caleb. Jacob is now about 40... Just 60 years, perhaps, years old. And he's now entering into the land. Caleb is over 80. We know that because we're told that in the conquest of the land. Moses died again, as we saw in our reading just a while ago, at 120 years old. Joshua will live to 110. But now they're ready to enter the land. And here we have in verse 3... The discussion that Joshua now has with God, with regard to the process of beginning to take possession of the land. God is saying, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. What a promise this is. God is saying, I'm giving you this land. Trust me in this. It will be to your benefit if you go in the power of your God and believe his promises. That was not a problem for Joshua. The problem was the people didn't believe it all. And it became an issue. It's exactly as Moses had said to the people. If you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, it's worthwhile reading the last four chapters of Deuteronomy. Within those last four chapters, Moses sings a song, makes some promises, and tells the people they're going to fail. But here God says, I'm going to do this for you. You will be able to stand before all of the Canaanites and be victorious not because of your ability, but because I go before you. He says again in verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. That's a wonderful promise. And by the way, it's a promise that God has given to us in the New Testament. The rudder of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, that is precisely the promise of God to us as believers in Jesus. Joshua, Yahushua. Jesus, Jehovah, is our salvation. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And then he says in verse 6, Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do it and to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor to be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a wonderful promise that God is making. And notice here, he's saying three times to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. I am with you. I will not forsake you. I will take care of you if you observe the commandments of the law as Moses recorded them for you. It was already written in a book. And he says again in verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. He had the book in his hands. It is the book that Moses wrote. The first five books. That portion of the Bible that we call the Pentateuch. The books of the law and the beginnings of the history of the Jewish nation. All of that he was to take and use it and meditate on it day and night. Now we have the book in its entirety and it's still beneficial to all of us to take this wonderful book that God has provided and meditate it on meditate on it day and night. That's what we should be doing. I pray that that is our common practice, every opportunity that we have. And God gives us many, many opportunities, doesn't He? But if we're truly going to take possession of the promises of God... Those promises, by the way, that are recorded for for us in the book of Ephesians, many, many multiple promises, an inheritance, a promise of victory, a promise of being in Christ, a promise of knowing the many blessings that He has poured out upon us, daily recipients of that wonderful blessing of God, we have that as our possession if we take full advantage of it. How do we possess it? By studying His Word, by meditating on His Word, by praying and seeking His will for our lives, by doing His will, by being willing to submit ourselves to Him and flee the temptation that comes our way. Flee youthful lusts. We have been given an empowerment by the Holy Spirit to do these things. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. He promises to go before us, to be beside us, be our rear guard, to cover us in the shadow of His wings, to place us upon that rock that is higher than all of us, that rock that is a sure foundation, that which is what we build our faith upon, Jesus Christ, that sure foundation, that solid rock, that anchor of our souls. That is what we have. Those promises are are to be possessed by each of us and we need to do a better job at that than the people of Israel in Joshua's day. But remember, God reminded Joshua again in verse 6, in verse 7 and verse 9, I will be with you. So, because of that, Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Now, that's not the first time that Joshua would have heard those words. I'd like you to turn now back to the book of Deuteronomy, to chapter 31. Chapter 31 is a very, very wonderful chapter that gives Joshua the privilege of leading the people into the land. And in that chapter, it tells us, verse 1 of chapter 31, Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years today. I can no longer go out and come in. And the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Verse 6 is what I want to focus on and also a couple of other verses as well. But here in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 31, guess what God says to the people? Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Again, God told that to Joshua, those very words, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Now he goes on in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 31 and continues to say, Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage. you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you, nor forsake you. Do not fear, nor be dismayed. Now, all of that to say that apparently there was a bit of trepidation in Joshua's mind, in his heart. He was not really believing completely that he could fill the shoes of Moses. He was going to be given a great responsibility. And I'm not really sure he was up to the task. At least that was he would think. I'm reminded that even the Apostle Paul asked the very question that perhaps Joshua was required or, or thinking about. Who is able to do this? Who is up to this task? Paul asked that very question. I'm convinced that perhaps Joshua must be because he had to be reminded many, many times already in what we've read in these passages Joshua, be strong and of good courage. I will be with you. Don't be fearful. Do not be dismayed. Again, in verse 23 of chapter 31, and then we'll read that and then go back to Joshua chapter 1. But in verse 23, of the chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, he says again, Then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. Thus says the Lord. It is the promise that God has spoken to Joshua through Moses. And by now, I believe that Joshua should be very, very convinced that he has nothing to fear. And I would submit to you that we neither have anything to fear. There's nothing that Satan can do to you and to me to cause us to stumble, to fall. He can if we're not trusting in God's word. He can present difficulties in our lives that might cause us to be fearful, fearful. But we're told over and over and over again, be strong and of good courage. I will not forsake you. I hold you in the palm of my hand and I will not let you go. I will not forsake you. The promise is certain. That's why when James tells us to submit ourselves to God and humble ourselves before Him, Satan will flee. He has nothing on you. He has nothing on me. Our sins are forgiven. And when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have the blessings that have again been recorded for us in the book of Ephesians and elsewhere in the New Testament that give these promises, these wonderful blessings. We can partake of all of them in this life as well as in heaven. And yes, heaven will be a wonderful place. And heaven will be our destiny we are his. We have been sealed with a seal of promise, the Holy Spirit of God. So all of these things are true. And by the way, the land of Canaan is not a picture of heaven. Okay, It is a picture of our life in this present age where there are indeed challenges that we must overcome. There are situations that we must face with the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us, to encourage us, to enable us to go forward and win the victory. And be mindful of the fact that the victory is not ours, it is the Lord's. We are given the wonderful armor of God. What, what we're to do with that armor is to put it on and then stand with the shield of faith before us. And the reason for that shield of faith Faith is so that it will quench the fiery darts of the enemy. And he cannot defeat any of us when we have that whole armor of God upon us. That's our promise. We can indeed possess the promises that God has given to us, just as the people of Israel could have possessed all of what God had promised to them. And all that they needed to do was to remember And God had said, be strong and of good courage, and I will be victorious on your behalf. Be strong and of good courage. Have I not commanded you? You see that it's a command of God? Take heart, my friends. This is something that God expects of us as well. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Take that as a fact for you and for all the believers in Jesus Christ. Then now, chapter 1, verse 10, continues with a certain group of the various tribes that had asked of Moses a special request. Back before they entered into the land, back before Moses died, they had one some battles on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They defeated Ammon. They defeated the Amalekites, the Ammonites. They defeated uh, the people who came against them in the area that is now Jordan and Syria, that northern or northeastern uh, area uh, just east of the Jordan River and north of the Sea of Galilee on the eastern side. That was a very, very lush land. And the people that came to Moses asking for a particular favor were the people that are described here, the Reubenites and the Gadites, along with half the tribe of Manasseh. But they're not mentioned here in this part of the story, but they also were part of this request. They had requested to Moses, because they had much cattle, let us occupy the lands that we just defeated of the Amalekites and the Amorites and the the Assyrian area that was uh, north of that particular area that we know as Jordan today, and we want to take that land and take that as our possession. And Moses said, okay, I'll do that, but you must, when they enter into the land of Canaan, Go with them. Send your armies in with them and you will not take possession of the land to the east of the Jordan River until the people of Israel have completely taken the properties that they have been guaranteed by the Lord. Taken full possession and defeated their enemies. Then you can go back into that territory east of the Jordan River and settle there. Leave your wives and your old men and your flocks in that area and go to battle and that would be the requirement that they would have if they're going to have that land as their possession. Now in Joshua chapter 1 verse 10, we find Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourself for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess and to the Reubenites the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh Joshua spoke saying remember the word which Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you saying the Lord your God is giving you the rest uh, giving you rest and is giving you this land Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed all your mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it which Moses the Lord's servant gave to you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So they answered Joshua and said, All that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. So they're agreeing, Joshua, we're going to do it because we promised that to Moses and we know that God has chosen you to replace Moses. You are our new commander-in-chief and whatever you tell us, wherever you go, That we will do. We'll follow your commands. We'll be obedient to all that you tell us. We will fulfill our obligation. They wanted to possess their land. They were anxious to get into that land. But it would be a full seven years before they could do so. But they never swayed from that promise. And God blessed them in their commitment. But he says here in verse 17, Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, in all that you command him, shall be put to death. And then they say, not God, not Moses, but the people of Manasseh and Gad and Reuben, only be strong and of good courage, Joshua Joshua had to be reminded all of these times. But I think that he was very, very much impressed with the fact that God would take the time to console him, to encourage him, to give him the strength to go ahead with the task that was before him. God would always do that for his people. To encourage, to comfort, to enable, to bring to pass that which he has promised to his people. Not because of anything we have done. Certainly not. Not because of our own strength. It wasn't because of Joshua's great prowess as a general of the armies of Israel. Oh, he did well. But there were mistakes made. There were problems that were not very, very... Good things to have to deal with. But in the end, Joshua was faithful, and Joshua believed he is God. And they went forward and did not turn back. They will cross the River Jordan. There are challenges ahead, and chapter 2 and following are all about those challenges. And then at about chapter 10, we find the distribution of the land to the various tribes, and they'll take us through the end of the book uh, before we finally finish that part of our study in the book of Joshua. But keep in mind, he is Yahushua, originally named Hoshia, but his name was changed from He says to Yahweh says, or Yahweh, Jehovah, is our salvation. Jesus in the New Testament was Joshua in the Old. I'm looking forward to this study. There's many, many things that we'll be applying to our own lives as we move forward in this great text of the Word of God. Grace and peace.